Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome. Bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Since way back in the Obama days. Hope you had a great, great Wednesday. We got a great show planned for you. So glad you're unwinding with us. Hello to everyone listening live. Our evil army of the night already knows. The great Chris Hauselt, executive produces from the magical state of South Carolina. The mighty Thea Harper produces from the borough of Brooklyn. I come to you from Manhattan. We got a good one. Bob Seska joins us tonight, one of my favorite bloggers and political guys, to talk all about the Tennessee Three, uh, as well as um, how people are trying to blame uh, guns uh, on pronouns. That's a thing now. Um, yeah, wh- whatever they can do to avoid to avoid hurting the gun. Uh, Cody Hunanian is executive director of Student Debt Crisis Center. He's got a piece in the nation. It's a letter that was published by the SDCC um, that's uh, all about how they are sending this letter to SoFi, which is one of the lenders currently suing the Biden administration to end the payment clause, the payment pause, and capitalize on student debt. Cody began his work with the Student Debt Crisis Center, working on issues like consumer protection policies and student loan financing. I don't know about you guys, but we're feeling kind of bleak about Joe Biden's plans for student loan debt forgiveness. It would really help a lot of people in our economy. It could help a lot of people start looking to buy houses. But it's looking increasingly like it might not happen. We're going to talk to Cody Hunanian all about that. And now we're number three, our hump day bay comedy daddy, Keith Price, joins us to talk about politics and Broadway and to bitch smack fools. And again, all night long, our most important guest is you guys. 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. David Letterman turned 76 years old today. Whew. Um, yeah. Let's uh, let's get to it. Um, uh, we've had some great, great guests lately, and I've got to tell you, if you've been enjoying all of our recent guests, uh, Eugene Levy, etc., you can hear them all right over at uh, SiriusXM On Demand, the SiriusXM uh, uh, um, app, and of course, the uh, John Fugelsang podcast. So check all that stuff out right now. Um, I'm looking for my notes because everything got thrown out of order here. Uh, so let's get to it. Um, Donald Trump sat down with Tucker Carlson. Tucker really didn't want to do it. You can kind of tell he really didn't want to do it. Uh, It's kind of embarrassing 
This is coming right after we are here from the Dominion lawsuit that Tucker Carlson called Trump a demonic force, said he hated him passionately, said he couldn't wait for the day when he could ignore Donald Trump in his private text messages. And now he is groveling and giving Donald Trump's fat pinky toe a pedicure with this softball interview where he's calling the man he hates passionately, moderate, sensible, and wise. And Donald Trump is rewarding the viewer by hopping up on caffeine and saying whatever pops into his empty head. Here is A3, Donald Trump with Tucker Carlson. You can't say the nuclear word. They don't understand life. They don't understand whatever it is that you have to understand. You know, it's very interesting. At the very beginning, Biden was very afraid of nuclear because I watched him and he was, oh, they have nuclear weapons. Oh, they which was exactly the wrong signal to send. You don't do that. But if you go back and check your files, you'll see Biden early on saying, oh, well, we can't do this. They have nuclear weapons. Well, you don't want to. You know, you don't want to act that way. Yeah. But he was very afraid of <laughs> nuclear. I said, you know, you got to be a little bit cooler than that. But what happened is now that nobody talks about it, but every day Putin mentions it and every day other people mention it. And now all of a sudden, if you look, other countries are talking about getting it. This was something you don't mention. I call it the N word. You have two N words. You don't mention either one of them. <laughs> the nuclear word you don't mention. That's Donald Trump saying how you don't mention the nuclear word after talking about the nuclear word. For a full 53 seconds. Um, again, look, he gets points. He he can pronounce it. Unlike George W. Bush, I, I have very low standards for presidents at this point. And my one standard for nuclear weapons is if you if you can't pronounce it, you can't have it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Donald Trump. We're going to be bringing you more highlights of Tucker Carlson being brought to heel to grovel at Donald Trump's feet as the evening goes on. Right now, however, it's time to play. White Supremacist Wednesday, because I don't know if you know this, April is Confederate History Month. And honestly, what's more patriotic than quitting America? Because you want to keep humans as livestock. Now, um, right now, there's one state that always celebrates Confederate Heritage Month. I don't want to tell you. I'll give you some hints. It's the state that, you know, gives away money intended for poor people to former pro football players and, and pro wrestlers. Uh, the state that carves out white neighborhoods for special courts where judges are appointed by the white legislature. That's right. Mississippi. The state Alabama keeps around to feel good about itself. Governor Tate Reeves just signed a declaration for Confederate, Confederate Heritage Month honoring the Confederate soldiers for April 31st. Yes, it says it's celebrating Confederate Heritage Month. We'll be honoring the Confederacy through April 31st, which is a day that doesn't exist. Well done, gentlemen. Really, really great. Um, today, when we were broadcasting live and recording this, marks the anniversary of the start of the Civil War with the attack on Fort Sumter or Confederate Heritage Day. Or if you're uh, a sane person from this century, uh, 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 Treason Day. Can we... Can we ever get to a point where we stop romanticizing seditionists? I, 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 can we can we stop celebrating losers? Maybe Mississippi is continuing their ugly, vile tradition of declaring April as Confederate, Confederate Heritage Month. It's the fourth year in a row that Tate Reeves has signed this proclamation. It's a thirty-year tradition. What they've only done it thirty years? Not all the way? No, well, only only thirty years. Um, former Republican Governor Kirk Fortas first began this. Uh, black people make up thirty-eight percent of Mississippi's population. That is the highest of any state. So what I'm saying is Mississippi is 
the blackest state. And you should get used to hearing that kind of talk because we're going to have to be talking quite a bit about what's happening to African-Americans in Mississippi uh, from everything from housing to justice to clean water. But April, of course, is when the Civil War, the costliest war, the deadliest war ever fought on American soil began. Started by the Confederates, by the way. Do I need to mention that? No, this is progress. I'm sorry. Y'all know that. Um, So he issued... Governor Reeves did this Confederate Heritage Month proclamation on behalf of this group called the Sons of Confederate Veterans. And they are uh, a bunch of neo-Confederate fanboys. They promote uh, what we call lost cause myths like the Civil War wasn't about slavery. You know, (laughs) hopeless. It was about states rights. What rights? The right to slavery. Um, In fact, slavery, you ready? Not mentioned in the proclamation, even though it was the reason Mississippi left the Union. And again, it's dated for April 31st, 2023, which does not exist, even in Mississippi. Um, He signed this proclamation the other day without any fanfare, no cameras. Um, And and here's the really important thing. Uh, This governor signs Confederate Heritage Proclamation every year in April, the blackest state. And in the 1920s, Mississippi actually had a black majority. But the state has elected nothing but Caucasian governors, 65 of them, since it was founded. Now, this organization, the Sons of Confederate Veterans, they're, they're, they promote all this lost cause myths and they downplay slavery, as we said. They also run Beauvoir. Have you heard of Beauvoir? That's uh, the Gulf Coast home of uh, Confederate president um, and uh, trader Jefferson Davis. Beauvoir is now a museum that annually gets $100,000 from the state of Mississippi for the purpose of capital development and maintenance to keep the trader's house looking nice. And these are the guys who are promoting this slaves were happy on the farm after their free boat ride version of the South's role in the Civil War into so many textbooks. Um, When Mississippi seceded in 1861, they said, our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, the greatest material interest of the world. And in that same document, Mississippi lists all their grievances with the government of the United States, you know the country Mississippi belongs to now. And they said of the United States in 1861, it advocates Negro equality, socially and politically. They said it denies the right of property in slaves and refuses protection to that right on the high seas, in the territories and wherever the government of the United States had jurisdiction. So when people try to tell you it wasn't about slavery anytime, and you're going to have this, you're going to have the loved one at Thanksgiving, you're going to have the guy you were friends with in Facebook that inexplicably you still talk to, was it about slavery? Just say to everyone, this is one, all, all you got to say, what did the state charter say for whatever state they're defending? Or just the cornerstone speech by Alexander Stevens. It was all about slavery. And that's the thing. They know it was all about slavery. This is their wink wink to each other. States rights. It's always been the racist camouflage. CARE released a statement of disgust, which they do every year. We condemn this shameful declaration in support of the Confederacy's dark legacy of white supremacy and slavery. Traitors to our nation who fought to defend slavery should be repudiated, not honored. Now, Governor Reeves pointed out the state wants to honor all who lost their lives in this war. And he said, we want to reflect on our nation's past and gain insight from our mistakes and successes. (laughs) And he said something about lessons learned yesterday and today. He said we have to understand and appreciate our heritage. It's garbage. 
He said a bunch of words someone else wrote for him to say strung together. Appreciate and understand our heritage. Celebrate rape, murder, disfigurement, kidnapping, torture. We have to reflect on our nations, gain insight from our mistakes. Okay, you know, here's the thing. Um, It's about slavery. You know, like you can be Clarence Thomas's best billionaire friend and say, well, just because I collect a lot of Nazi memorabilia doesn't mean I like Nazis. Well, just because you celebrate white supremacist slavers, it, it means you like white supremacist slavers. They asked ask him about this in the press conference today. Governor Reeves said he did it in the same manner and fashion that five governors came before me. Republicans and Democrats alike for over 30 years have done. It's four, not five, four of them, including one Democrat issued Confederate Heritage Month proclamations. And again, by state law, Mississippi also has Confederate Heritage Day in April, which is a holiday for state employees. Juneteenth is not. They will honor, like Florida, like so many beautiful southern states, they will honor the people who fought to keep black folks as property. They will not have a holiday honoring black folks no longer being property. Um, By the way, his office didn't even announce his signing of the Confederate Heritage Month proclamation. Yeah, he didn't announce it, didn't broadcast it. Mississippi Free Press picked up the story. Why? Because Governor Reeves knows how disgusting and dirty this is. That's why he won't mention slavery in it. That's why he uses this gobbledygook word salad. He knows it's rotten, but he's beholden. He bends the knee for white supremacists. By the way, you notice the people who defend the Confederate monuments, they're, they're, they're the people always telling you it was Democrat who supported slavery in the KKK. You know, can I, Mississippi is 145 years old. The Confederacy lasted four years. Barack Obama lasted twice as long as the Confederacy. They should celebrate him twice as hard. Four years. That's it. That's like in between World Cups. That's in between presidential elections. That's that's all it lasted. That's not heritage. That's a blip. That's a phase you went through. That's when you got tired of being with your wife and you left her and seceded from your marriage and went off and banged some skank. And then eventually you went broke. So you met your wife to negotiate moving back into your marriage, had lunch somewhere, let's say Appomattox. When you move back into the house, you don't take the chick you were banging's picture and hang it over the fireplace. That's the Confederate flag. That's what you were off doing when you were being evil for those couple of years. Some liberal's going to call me sexist for that, but I don't care. Does anyone really think Confederate, Confederate Heritage Month represents the will of the blackest state in the United States? No. This is systemic racism. This is honoring the cause of white supremacy. This is a very direct way of announcing we're still in charge here. And whether that's true or not, this is Tate Reeves announcing that to the white people who put him in office. You know, former Mississippi Governor uh, uh, Ray Mabus, he's a Democrat. He had the office for four years. He did not issue a Confederate Heritage Month proclamation, and he criticized the current governor. He said, his Confederate Heritage Month proclamation sounds like he's endorsing critical race theory, learn from the past, etc. He said, heritage of Confederacy is treason and slavery. We should learn from those things, just maybe not in the way he imagines. But what were we going to do? You know, we had a Black History Month in February, and now it's time for a slobbering goober supremacy month to celebrate their lost cause heritage. I mean, look, credit where it's due. Mississippi was flying their Confederate-themed state flag from 1894 
above state buildings until uh, three years ago when lawmakers voted to replace it. So that that's good. They only took down the Confederate flag from their official flag three years ago. Um, they, they, they are changing school names to stop honoring Confederates. There are adults in this beautiful state who've shown they are willing and able to let go of their wet dreams about the Confederacy. These are the same people who are against critical race theory because it makes their kids feel bad while terrifying the black kids with Confederate Heritage Month. It's exactly what it is. Last year, Governor Reeves signed a ban on critical race theory into law, uh, which is a lie because the law doesn't mention or describe critical race theory anywhere in the text. And as he signed the law, the governor claimed critical race theory is running amok. Despite the fact that it's not, and the lawmakers who wrote this law admitted They could not name any public kindergarten through grade 12 schools in the country. We're critical race theory. It's big time. (laughs) He also said that critical race theory, uh, which is about addressing systemic racial inequalities in the legal system and throughout our whole culture. He said it was a tool of indoctrination used to humiliate white people. Governor Mississippi said children are dragged to the front of the classroom and are coerced to declare themselves as oppressors, that they should feel guilty because of their race, that they are inherently a victim because of their race. These white men can lie about these things because they know there's no accountability. They know the lies help them stay in office, and they know they won't be punished by the voters back home because they told a lie that makes racists look good. Tell me again how Republicans are the party of Lincoln. God bless Mississippi, because, you know, Alabama really does need someone to look down on. So happy Confederate History Month. I haven't seen this many people excited to celebrate the side that lost since Trump's first inaugural. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-GRIT, 866-997-4748. Let's go to the phones. Why is this not working? Uh, Thea, can you pick up Mitch and Kent State? Hello? Hi, Mitch. Welcome. Hi, John. Thank you. Thank you for taking the call. Uh, first of all, I have a request for uh, Chris, if he, if he would, uh, if sometime tonight. It being Hemi, uh, Herbie Hancock's birthday, yes. one of my favorite tunes is Cantaloupe Island. Ah, uh, it's great. Yeah. Chris, yeah, take off the one I gave you. He's right. Cantaloupe Island's better than the one I gave you. All right. Yes, sir. Thank You'll you. never hear that song again. Banned. You. <laughs> you did, Mitch. Chris, by, by the way, Chris, thank you for the McKendry Spring Drop. I enjoyed that also. Thanks. I didn't know next, you were I'll do a, next I'll do a James Gang drop for you. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, that's our hometown boys. Thank you. Oh, wow. I can smell the millennials coming to our show. Go on. <laughs> John, uh, Cluniac Poll just took a, a survey here in Ohio. Uh, there's a 90% favorability for background checks in, in Ohio. Uh, 90%. And you wouldn't know it. it it's just, uh, you know, it, it, just the, uh, the, you know, with DeWine and, and, and the rest of the uh, Republican uh, uh, they're in Columbus. You know, they wouldn't. Okay. I don't think they even read these polls. And the other thing is, you know, he has a forty-four percent approval rating. Sheriff Brown has a fifty-one percent approval rating. Yeah. I, you know, if I, I, I wish <laughs> would run for governor, I really he, He's actually stronger in the state than than uh, than Dwine. Oh, can you imagine a debate? Can you imagine a debate between Mike DeWine and Sherrod Brown? And I mean, and Mike DeWine is like one of the least evil Republicans out there, and he's still awful. Sherrod Brown would trash him. That's why people wanted Sherrod Brown to run for president. He's done this show, and I all but begged him to do it. But I I don't ever want to see Sherrod Brown challenge him for the governor's office because we need Brown in the Senate. 
you know that, that's I know that's where he always you know he goes back on it. Uh, that that's his work. That's his bread and butter. Is, well, is being sometimes you but, want to uh, go where everybody knows your name. Exactly. Uh, but the other thing, you know, with the Republicans, you know, it, it just seems like it's they want to uh, have a you know a system of a one party governance. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's their way or the highway. I mean, uh, you know, it's, as far as libraries. Uh, you know, it, it's, you just you name the, you name the subject. It's it's their way or no way, and uh, that's yes, that's been since Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich um, in 1994, where he ran for speaker and, and promised zero compromise with the Clinton administration, and ever since then, that has been the mantra: zero compromise. Any kind of compromise is weakness, and compromise is literally how adults achieve anything in the entire awful period we call adulthood. You know, there's always been this undercurrent, though. I think that, you know, uh, going back, you know, I, I remember, you know, as, as far as the, you know, the 60s and stuff, I mean, the Republicans, you know, it, it was a, there was an undercurrent there, but it wasn't so exposed, I mean, like it is now. I, I think that, uh, you know, Trump has really, uh, he's, you know, brought this, uh, this whole mindset, this whole idea of division and conquer to, mm-hmm. to, to a greater exposure and, and brought out in the daylight. You know, it, it yes. wasn't that they, it wasn't that. Uh, oh, wasn't that? Uh, uh, you know, it, I don't think it was that. There were there were issues. There were division in, in, in the country, but uh, not like this. I, you know, it's uh, of course. The well, Vietnam, I think I think I, I think you know what you're saying is what I what I hear is there were always divisions. We've always been fiercely divided. We've always hated each other. But politicians always paid lip service to this concept. Of coming together, right? Like the better angels of our nature. Even George W. Bush, they all they all talk about how oh we we we're, we can be the best when we look inside. They all have this inspiring talk, right? Uh, Donald Trump was the first one to ever have none of that, and a lot of people mistook that for that that indifference to the feelings of others for authenticity. But the fact that he hates the same people I hate that's pretty irresistible for a lot of people in this country, right? And but the, you know it's you know it. You, it's going to be the independents that save us. I really do. I think it's the independent vote. It's the uh, the people in the middle. It always is. Yeah. It always uh, is. That's it. Yeah. Both parties are always competing for this big, fat swath of white folks in the Midwest. God bless them. That's that's ultimately what comes down to it. White people who can't make their minds up is <laughs> ultimately what's going to save or doom this country. Yeah. And, and uh, even on Roe v. Wade here in Ohio... Sixty-one percent say they, they they approve you know that legalize abortion. Sixty-one percent. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's just uh, boy. It's 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 a good thing. It's a good thing we're not going to turn into a democracy anytime soon. <laughs> I just uh, you know it's just mind-boggling sometimes, John. You know, so I, I, I thought I've seen it all, but I guess I haven't. You know, it's just uh, uh, you know I know each you know it, there's it changes in every generation, but uh, yeah. You know, these last these last few years, I think even with uh, COVID, COVID, I think uh, was another factor in in this division. Also, I think that uh, we just uh, we you know there's things that uh, divided us, and and, and there's still yeah. a division there. Uh, still, because, I mean, know, we're we're wearing a mask to slow the spread of a virus. That right. that's controversial. Like. <laughs> I can't wait for these people to say no mask before my surgery, doctor. It's just this is it. We we have been conditioned to hate each other. 
We have been. And a lot of us, I'm sorry, there has been a long sustained program of brainwashing and gaslighting on our right wing loved ones to hate anyone who's not in their clique. And I can prove it because anyone who has a lot of American flags on their social media profile probably hates lots of other Americans. Yeah, you know, they're the ones who wear the T-shirts and they have the tattoos and, you know, and, uh, you know, boast about this and boast about that. But uh, it's the quiet ones. It's, it's the ones that, uh, you know, are, are humble and, and gentle and soft-spoken, I think. And, you know, as far as, uh, uh, you know, being kind to your, to your, to your, to your fellow man. And, uh, but these other ones, you know, they're just so, so brash, so harsh. And, you know, just, you can just tell by their, uh, you know, but the way they talk, that uh, you know, there's no there's no corner, there's no uh, room for uh, compromise or for uh, for uh, you know any kind of uh, yeah. uh, you know getting together. It's just uh, no, you're right, you're right. But again, remember, there's more of us. There's more of us who believe in democracy. There's more of us who believe that we have to find ways to get along with people we disagree with than there are the haters and the authoritarians and the ones who hate democracy. The problem is those people are louder, and sometimes they're much better right. funded. But there's always been more of us. That's the thing right, that right. keeps my faith in the human race going, Mitch. That and your smile. Those two things. That's all I've got. It's all I cling to. And the, and the last song on Deja Vu, Everybody I Love You. Yeah, the last song on Deja Vu, yes, yes. And, and, and your wife's resilience. Those things, Mitch. Those things <laughs> keep me way, going. By the way, we'll see you in Virginia, by the way, at the end of the month. Oh, you're kidding. You're coming on down. I haven't announced that yet on the show. I guess I should. You know, a couple of years, a couple of years ago, our friend Carl Frisch, the, the, the political strategist, he was yeah. running for school board. This is, this is, this is a, a, a gay man, a, 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 a wonderful gay man running yeah. for the school board um, in my mom's home state in the great state oh, of Virginia. Yeah. And I'm like, hell yes, I'm going to come down there. I will do a show for you. And we right. sold out this thing and did a big, loud, crazy fundraising show. And now, yeah. in spite of popular demand, he's asked me back. I will be performing <laughs> with our friend Carl Frisch. It's called uh, Laugh Out the Vote with me oh, yeah. Saturday, April 29th at 7 p.m. In Tyson's, Virginia, you can go. Uh, I'll, I'll post this uh, the information on my on my Facebook and on uh, on everything, so you can uh, and on my Twitter. If you're in the Virginia area, we would love to have you in Tyson's, Virginia, Saturday, April 29th. And if you come, if you will come to this fundraiser to help support Carl Frisch and his campaign for re-election to the Fairfax County School Board, I Fugelsang will personally introduce you to Mitch from Kent State and his <laughs> horrified wife. I will make that happen. My p- pledge to you all, I'll be Mitch. I gotta go. Thank you, John. Peace. Thank you. Let's both go and seek further treatment. Okay, quick break. We'll be back in just a couple of seconds with the great Bob Seska. We are just getting warmed up here, and I hope you feel the love. Back with your calls and Bob in just a moment. This is Progress. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. 
Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Justin Pearson was restored to the Tennessee State House by the Memphis City Commission. <laughs> oh, just like they're realizing, hey, maybe getting rid of Roe v. Wade wasn't a great idea. Maybe, you know, getting rid of two brilliant young black men in the legislature because they cared about children being slaughtered by guns wasn't the look we need. Justice delayed, but still. Also, inflation sank. To 5% in March, that's the lowest in two whole years. And uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina announced he's going to have an exploratory committee to explore whether he can get paid to run around pretending to run for president when he's auditioning to be the running mate of Donald Trump and or <laughs> Ron DeSantis. For more, let's go to the great Bob Seska, host of The Bob Seska Show, one of the smartest podcast you can hear about politics and music maybe you're fans of bob for his appearances on stephanie miller as well mr seska it's good to have you back i'm so glad about uh justin pearson and one of the things that's so encouraging about the tennessee three is there's a lot of talk about how deep the you know to use a sports metaphor how deep the democratic bench happens to be what kind of talent do we have up and coming and man the two justins and gloria johnson for that matter are filling out that bench quite well. I mean, you can add Mallory McMorrow. Yeah, there's there's a few who are really, really looking good. Democrats are really, really stacking up on young leaders will be dynamic for the next couple of decades. Yeah. Republicans are really stacking up on young politicians who already look like 45 year old Southern guys. Uh, I don't know how, but they (laughs) they they can do it. You know, yeah, guys in their 20s who still tell you to get off their lawns. uh, The GOP is leading with. But I mean, (laughs) what a what a roller coaster we've all been on watching this indecency going on down in Nashville. Uh, Bob, I've been dying yeah. to talk to you about it and get your take on it. It is such a happy ending. And um, thanks to the Tennessee GOP for making superstars out of these two young men. Yeah. What a stupid thing to do. Talk about, you know, we use this metaphor a lot where uh, people walk into their own propellers for some reason. It's just like it's like that uh, fight scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Where it just... <laughs> back you know gets up uh, you know falls right into that big airplane propeller and all over the place <laughs> but uh yeah this is a situation where the republicans made superstars out of all three of them and i'm not sure exactly why they did it i mean i have some theories i think this is all about the fact that the republicans need that bigot vote they have backed themselves into this corner they've painted themselves into the trump corner and so what they're doing a lot of is performative pandering to yes. that base where they're doing things just enough so they could say, hey, look what we did. Look what we did to the Justins. We got them, didn't we? Ha, ha, ha. And then once everybody's moved on to a different news cycle, they backpedal uh, when, you know, the base isn't watching anymore. So and there are all kinds of uh, pieces of legislation that they've tried to do where uh, it's one of those things that they end up passing the legislation, then it gets overturned in the courts or something like that, but the, and, or legislation that they start but aren't able to ever pass, like is what, what's going on in the House of Representatives. So a lot of what the Republicans are doing right now is uh, j- performance art. I think yes. it can only be termed as that. Obviously, there's damage still to that. 
but um, what they're achieving is not a whole lot as far as actual legislation that the base loves. I mean, they're, yeah, they're obviously they're doing some horrible things. Make no mistake. I mean, but let's, let's not be. They're, they're being the, pretty horrible to trans children, and there's lots of conservative Christians oh, that yes. really appreciate that cruelty. Come on now. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think a lot of that is performative, too. I mean, obviously, there's uh, ideas and values, awful values, that back that up. But what they're doing, even with trans people, is something that I think in the long run isn't going to hold up. I think it's just something to feed the Red Hat Entertainment Complex. A lot of the Republican agenda is all about feeding this ongoing machine. And if they feed that entertainment complex, what happens is fundraising money comes back to them. Uh, they get uh, all kinds of PR from the various podcasts and websites and Twitter accounts and TikTok accounts, et cetera. And so uh, obviously all of AM talk radio. So it's... <laughs> There's this endless Ouroboros of nonsense that the Republicans are gauged in with their media complex. And I think that's what drives a lot of what the Republicans are doing now. There's no specific agenda. I mean, we haven't seen anything about what their plans are for uh, the economy. It's just meat and potatoes issues. What they're doing is they're doing these uh, these uh, culture war things in order yeah. to keep the people like Charlie Kirk and Ben Shapiro and Michael Knowles, get them all stirred up and talking about uh, what's happening with the Republican well, we, Party. We, we can't and, blame all these mass shootings on transgender girls who want to play sports and Hunter Biden's yeah. laptop forever. I mean, eventually we got to blame it on immigrants. Come on now. We, we, we need oh. to put the brains together. Oh, yeah. Immigrants or pronouns, as the case may be. <laughs> right. How could I forget Louisville. pronouns? Yeah, that's the new thing in yeah. Louisville, right? Because this fellow who who committed this atrocity uh, had put his pronouns, listed his pronouns on one of his social media apps. Suddenly mm -hmm. they were talking all about. Pro Again, this is my theory, Bob. They will do anything to avoid talking about the gun. They'll talk yep. about the Confederate flag. They'll talk about bump stocks. They'll talk about mental health. They'll talk about how someone's transgender. And now, oh, he listed his pronouns. That's what mm. killed those poor people. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely ludicrous. They're trying to crowbar all of this stuff into this holy war against trans people that they're engaged in. So, you know, if, what's the saying? If everything's if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Well, you yeah. know, they're going to use that to go after whatever story comes up. They're going to try to find a way to tie that in to their, uh, you know, this holy war against trans people. So and, and that's obviously the case with the shooting in Louisville and that's going it. back to Nashville as well. They're trying to find some reason to say that trans people are rising up and murdering people with firearms in some sort of epidemic of of trans gun violence, trans terrorism, as Donald Trump Jr. said in one of his videos. So that, yeah, that's the approach they're taking with this one, too. Not a surprise at all. And I suspect any chance they get, they'll take whatever issue they can find and try the same stunt with it because it works. It works with their base uh, as long as yeah. they're doing that. As long as the base is happy, they seem to be contented. But as a party, I, I don't get it. I don't know how they can win elections when their guy, Donald Trump, is at 25% favorability right now. Well, is, they're, they're, let, me, let me tell you. They've let me created tell you, a monster. Yeah. Yeah. You know how they're going to yeah. do it? They're going to do what Matt Schlapp says. 
because Match Lap says real teabaggers take it to the base. And uh, and that's what they'll that's what they'll do. But I want to I want to bring yeah. up something that even more hideous because again they're going to try to say it's not about the guns, right? That's that's yeah. everything here. So the Kaiser Family Foundation just released a new poll this week that's kind of unlike any poll I've ever seen from them. Um, one in five American adults have had a family member killed by a gun. Yeah. One in six Americans have witnessed a shooting. Among black adults, it's one in three have witnessed a shooting. Just shy of half, uh, 49%, knew that guns are the leading cause of death for children and teenagers ages 1 to 19 in the U.S. No other country comes close. Uh, 46% knew that about the share that were suicides. Um, 44%, Bob, of parents, 44% yeah. of parents with kids under age 18 said... There is a gun in their house, and a third of that group said the guns were always kept loaded uh, or stored in an unlocked location. Two-thirds said the guns are stored together with ammunition. So um, about what, what I'm getting from this is nothing is going to change. We don't mm-hmm. feel safe, and the Republican response to us not feeling safe about all these guns is to tell us to buy more guns. Yeah, that's right. I just I think we need a new approach in all of this because we've entered this sort of Groundhog Day phase with uh, mass shootings. And then we all go on social media and we say, repeal the Second Amendment, pass background checks. It's the same loop over and over again. And what we're running up against is we're running up against uh, legislative roadblocks. Certainly, uh, Republicans in the House of Representatives will never allow anything to get through Congress. We're running up against uh, Republican state legislatures, Republican governors, who will never allow uh, further gun regulations to ever be passed. In fact, what they're doing is actively rolling all that stuff back. And then if you do get something passed, it ends up getting scrapped in the courts because now a lot of the federal courts are packed with pro-gun conservatives all the way up to the Supreme Court. So what do we do? How do we break this cycle? Because I think we're at this point where not only are we fed up with this cycle of mass shootings in this country, this epidemic of mass shootings, this epidemic of gun violence, but the solutions keep running up into a brick wall. And so I've been trying to think about a way to break through that that maybe entirely sidesteps politics, sidesteps legislatures like the House of Representatives or Republican legislatures. And the thing that I got thinking about is the anti-smoking, anti-big tobacco campaigns. Mm-hmm. And this goes back Class years action. and That's years pre- and years. Preach, preach. Yeah, yeah. And so that was so immensely effective between from 1965 to present day, the anti-smoking campaign in this country has reduced the number of of smokers by 68%. If we can reduce the number of mass shootings by 5%, 10%, oh my God, imagine the lives that would be saved. What we Mm -hmm. have to do is what separates the United States from other nations that have video games, that have uh, firearms, where people own firearms, is we have this culture in this country that surrounds gun ownership, whether it's stirred by the Second Amendment or if it's stirred up by our pop culture, our history of revolution and civil war Mm -hmm. and the Old West and so on. We've got this reverence, this idolatry with firearms. We revere them. We, in some circles, worship them, their hobbies, their traditions, their relics. 
And so what I think we can do, and this again, this completely sidesteps the Second Amendment. We have to have a full court cultural push, a, a way to stigmatize this reverence that's uh, surrounding gun ownership. Obviously, yes. firearms are going to be a necessity in some circles, and that's absolutely a fact. But what we shouldn't have is this worship of firearms, this uh uh, what I keep calling a sort of sacrosanct idolatry that surrounds yeah. that, and so oh yeah, I think if we it, if we use that anti, it is a god, campaign, and we sacrifice children to it. You know, yeah, it is a yeah, god. Absolutely. It is worshipped, and children are sacrificed in its name. I I, I, mm -hmm. I want to ask you if you take any solace. From the fact that in spite of what all these politicians are doing um, in the legislature, Tennessee's governor, Bill Lee, a Republican, just signed an executive order to streamline background checks for gun purchases in the state. Like, I, 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 I have this one rule, Bob Seska. I've always got to praise Republicans from James Brady on who do anything remotely responsible about yeah. gun safety. And so, um, you know, God bless him. Bill Lee actually signed a gun safety law to make uh, background checks easier to do. Like, that that's progress. I'll take it. Yeah, it's progress. I wonder if it's someone's going to one of these uh, gun lobby groups or activist groups are going to sue to have it reversed. I mean, it's just seems to be the trend. But, uh, you know, I'm being Debbie Downer about that. I, I think it's positive. I But I do think that in a lot of ways, background check, passing background checks, knowing the caliber, they're knowing the caliber. See, even I'm sort of using gun culture metaphors. We all do triggered, take aim at. We should target that issue. It's all the it's in the language, too, in this country. But anyway, uh, so um, when it comes down to laws like that, background check laws, it's kind of downstream. What I think we need to do is target the demand for firearms, which is mm -hmm. this this idea that, oh, yeah, you got to stockpile a bunch of firearms. That's the American way. It's as American as apple pie and Chevrolet and all the nonsense. And so if we can target that, if we can target the desire to own as many guns as you can store in your house, if we can target the demand, then the supply will start to diminish. And right. it, it doesn't require a single law to be passed. It doesn't require any sort of litmus test for the Second Amendment. Yeah, All it I requires is how you is market it. I mean, what's the, what's finance. the slogan? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but like like you got enough guns. Like I mean, guys, you fired guns before, so have I. They're awesome. You know, oh, a certain yeah. kind of man really feels big when he drives a loud car or holds a loud gun. I I, yeah. I, I guns are a religion for people, and I say the same thing I say to atheists. You're you're never going to make people stop wanting religion i, th I think mm -hmm. people are always going to want guns I, I i think the way to go is you know incrementally which is sucks but i i think it's you know mocking the need to have an ar-15 mocking the yeah. indifference to american human suffering by letting civilians own these ar-15s like i i don't think you'll ever be able to sell people against the concept of firearm ownership but i do think we can persuade them to to think hey maybe a maniac should have to reload mid massacre after 10 shots yeah. am i being too yeah. negative here no, not at all. In fact, what's one of the things that I think is a part and parcel of firearm ownership is this idea that if you own guns, you're masculine and you're badass. And, and these are all things that have grown up around firearms uh, through uh, popular entertainment and so on. These mm -hmm. are ideas that uh, a lot of Americans possess and that drives them to buy more guns. And, you know, what I always mention is, 
you buy all these firearms, eventually you're going to want to use them. It's like you have a classic car collection. Eventually, you're going to want to take some of those cars out for a ride, right? Hmm, and so yeah. I think that temptation remains. The notion that in this country, we very often solve our problems at the point of a gun. Our political yeah. leaders solve issues overseas by shooting at them. I mean, this is what we've been taught for all these years, and this is what differentiates american culture from all other cultures that have firearms available to them so it's that's the that's the big difference that's the thing that i think we can achieve now the problem is i mentioned it a second ago is financing right now the gun control side of the aisle is way behind the pro-gun lobby in 2022 the pro-gun lobbyists spent uh, over $12.8 million in lobbying. On the other yeah. hand, the gun control side of that activism only spent last year less than $2.4 million. So we're talking about a $10 million annual spending gap between sure. gun control and pro-gun lobbies. That is an enormous deficit that needs to be corrected. We've got wealthy financiers who happen to be center-left Democrats. Where are these people? Why aren't they spending money? And and I maybe it's that they don't have anything to focus that spending totally on. Totally get it. Totally respect where you're coming from. But, but is there yeah. also, Mr. Seska, is there also a deficit of Democratic politician courage? Because a lot of politicians look at the polls, yes. they think this is going to hurt me in my in my reelection chances. And so a lot of Democrats, not all of them, but a lot of them won't touch the issue. Mm-hmm. It's the people yeah. leading, waiting for more leaders to follow and start leading. Well, that's just it. Uh, because of the nature of our politics and our geography, you have a lot of Democrats who are, you know, like Joe Manchin, for example, who's in a red state. He's a red state Democrat. He's an endangered mm-hmm. species. So what he has to do every time he's running for reelection, we got to get the Joe Manchin uh, TV ads where he's got his gun and he's shooting things. And, hey, look how with you I am with my gun. Isn't that awesome? And obviously part of the gun culture, obviously pandering to uh, gun owners in that state because he desperately needs to get reelected from behind the eight ball, you know, as a Democrat in a red state. And you can see that across other uh, states and other congressional districts. Um, And that's that's also a problem. And again, I think this approach attacking the demand will start to wear that down a little bit, Mm. diminish that idea that this is something that we need to brag about, that we've got a shotgun or we've got an AR-15. It's absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. Mr. Seska, you are the best in the business. I actually had a woman write me today very angry that I haven't been doing the Bob Seska intro poem. I got I got criticized <laughs> for it today. So I've got to upgrade that a bit and start embarrassing you again. What is the best way for our evil army of the night to follow you and your work, sir? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, the Bob Seska. My podcast is bobseskashow.com. Thank you so Wonderful. much, my friend. It's great to see you, sir. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is progress. Don't go away. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued 
at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. Here's a brief clip of Ukraine President Vladimir Zelensky. You might have heard about the latest atrocity video that's been released where a Ukrainian soldier is pinned down and stabbed in the neck and is, has his head cut off. That's making the rounds. So here's President Zelensky on his recent visit to the front line and his promise to rebuild what Russia has destroyed. Recently, I visited the frontline regions and the regions of our country bordering Russia. It is so painful to see cities destroyed by terror, villages burned and fields dead, dead because they are mine. That's why supporting fast recovery is a part of counter-terrorism work. By rebuilding what has been ruined, we defeat the main goal of terror. We return their normal life. That's Vladimir Zelensky, who is Jewish. And if you read right-wing chat rooms, he is also a Jewish Nazi. Yeah, that's what we're working with. John is calling from Oregon. Hi, John. Thanks for calling up. Hello. John, you there? Last year. John. <laughs> They're always actually giving the order at the drive-thru when, when I take the call. John. It's the radio. John, come back to us. I, I guess surprise. What's yeah, what what do you is there are the shamrock shakes still there? I mean they're not fresh, but they never were. John? Why does this happen to us? They call us. Four with the high C orange, supersized. This is what men do. They pre- no, Chris. This is what men do. They pretend to be interested, and then as soon as you pick up, they forget all about you. All right, give us a call back, Sean in Cali. Clear the air for me. Oh, double double animal style, please. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> um, so, John. I, yes. You know, um, great um, show as always, and. My thinking has been two things have been driving me crazy, and then I'll try to put it in a nutshell, which I can never do, but I'll try. Okay. Number one, <laughs> uh, ideology, right? Uh, if I turn on the cable news and read my, you know, so-called newspapers that I read, right. um, they're always trying to say it's not an ideology um, with people who support Donald Trump or Donald bin Laden, as I like to call him. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. This throughout history, the same thing happens to disaffected peoples whose lives suck. Okay, this is the yeah. fact of failed societies: is that their lives suck. They don't know what to do, and so they'll grasp on to anyone who says they're going to make their lives better, no matter what. And those guys over there give them the blame. Whoever they may be, are the problem. And mm-hmm. that's Always. where we are. It works. And that's where we're at. Yeah. It does work. And so what drives me crazy is that they keep saying that, of course, it's an ideology. It doesn't mean that we blame these people and hate these people. That's our problem is the fact that we need to try to do our best to get them to see something else, which is very difficult. 
And what I'm saying to us right now is don't be scared, be prepared. Because the way we are in this media society today, mm-hmm. way different than when I grew up. I think you're younger than me, but probably you too, that you grew up in the society that, you know, if something happened, we didn't see it 24-7 on television or on our phones sure. or on everything else. Okay? Something will happen. I, I don't, it's not if, it's when, where, and how. And what I mean by that is, is that something's going to happen because of the guns and bullets that are available out there or whatever else. But the thing about what we are dealing with now with the media and all that is the fact that they can all of a sudden shift everything that we're moving in a positive direction to help all of us here. I'll just say the United States, not the world, but let's just say the United States is that they'll shift it to this is the most important fucking thing in the world. And they'll find blame for someone. Right. Wait, who's they? Who's they? Is they the media? Who's the they we're talking about? Does they to be the blame for, let's say there's a terrorist attack, right? What's the first thing that everyone, I shouldn't say everyone, the majority of white people think it's a foreign terrorist attack. Sure. Which there are foreign terrorists that, that definitely want to do its harm and have done mm-hmm. its harm and all that. But you know yes. what our biggest threat is now? It's American domestic imbeciles. Domestic yes. That's right. Well, you look at the look at the results. I mean, since 1994, I believe it's been uh, over 300 um, uh, of these shootings that have been carried out by uh, by 324, I believe, right wing terrorist shootings in America. I, I don't think Black Lives Matter has that many yet uh, or, or Antifa on their best day. But again, we don't cover this. We don't talk about the threat that armed right wing militias pose that much because we have a media culture that really doesn't want to be seen as unbalanced and unfair to conservatives. So they'll play both sidesisms and they'll have false equivalencies and bend over backwards because they will never stop chasing that Fox demographic. And you're right on point. And and the point I'm making here is don't be scared, be prepared. Because if you're prepared mentally and you kind of think out ahead, then you won't just automatically assume that the the bomber or the shooter or whatever is is them. Okay? We have a problem here because we don't – we have screwed up a lot of our, our countrymen and women. Okay, it doesn't mean they're mentally ill or anything else. We have a big problem. And then we give them access to killing machines and there's access everywhere on the Internet, how to build this, how to do that. I hear you. I am just saying we can evolve if you. you Sean, this is why. Yeah. Okay. I do believe we can evolve. I even I I even believe people who don't believe in evolution can evolve. So I thank you for giving me some hope tonight. I want to get one more caller before our break. Al in Los Angeles. Welcome. You're on Sirius XM. Yeah, hi. Um, I I don't know if you're aware of this, and and my point in bringing this up is, you know, we of course it's tragic, and we hear about the uh, shootings that that actually happened. But how many are near misses, and that we're all living under the the other effect of all this shooting is we're all living scared to death, and it, it's another form of terror. My cousin kid plays hockey in St. Olaf in Minnesota, very high level yeah. college hockey. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but they just oh, arrested I'm aware of this. a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just arrested a kid who had a, a cache of, of, of weapons, including these uh, assault weapons and other instruments. He had, a, you know, writings. He had drawn up maps. 
is uh, laughable. His lawyer claims that the kid just likes to draw maps, but he had maps showing in and out of the different buildings that he was planning yeah. to do a mass shooting. They well, luckily more than that. found more, him. More, you're uh, right, but, but, but even oh, more than that. He had a tactical vest. They found empty ammunition boxes, gun magazines, knives, propane canisters, a lighter fluid, a list of all the St. Olaf public safety radio frequencies. And this was found in his dorm room at St. Olaf's. To your point, I That's think right. this actually t- ties into our last caller, uh, our last caller, Sean's point. This is because some custodians were just in a state of heightened awareness, right? We, we are all panicked by the shooting, but at the same time, we're also keeping our eyes open even more. And, and is that what led to this being found? It was a janitor that found it, and evidently the kid is, is like a, a good member of his uh, college track team. So you know, you you look at it and you think, oh wow, a, a, a good athlete, a track star. And meanwhile, he's doing this, and and he had a partner that, uh, involved. There was another mm-hmm. kid, evidently, that they're uh, trying to find. But the point is, and and he'll be out on bail. This is where our system is so broken and corrupt, that a kid like this, they find all of this, uh, you know, the writings, the maps, and so on, and yet he's still able to make bail. So what, it was, we're going to let him out so he can go somewhere else and try it again? Well, I, I think mean, there might, it, I mean, it, it, we we have to see, though, let's, let's keep in mind, I mean, he, he didn't he didn't do anything yet. So not that I support it. He's, he's charged. This man's name is Waylon Kurtz. He's 20 years old. Boy, it's these white young men in their early 20s who get their hands on AR-15s really easily that cause so much of this. He's charged with three counts of conspiracy and one count of terroristic threats. So, I mean, it's not the strongest charges. But again, I think it's a success story because this is an example of where they stopped the shooting before it happened. We didn't need to have this farcical good guy with a gun show up on a white horse and prevent this mid-massacre. This was someone on a college campus, kept their eyes open, was looking in the trash because he's a janitor, saw all the empty ammo boxes and followed the trail back to his room where they found. I mean, he had instructions to how to create a shoot house to train. That's where you train military mm-hmm. in close quarters combat. They had a plan to steal ammo from Walmart. They had a list of radios he could purchase. I mean, and his writings were quite extensive. And but but he said that he believed everything he had in his dorm was still within college policy. So that's going to probably be his defense. He kept his high-capacity magazines off campus at a business. It, it, it's so sad. We we have to wait then for him to go out and actually follow through, you know? I mean, it, it's just, again, the system is so But, but I don't know. Maybe, but but and, again, maybe, and, because they, maybe because they found it and stopped it early, he won't have to go follow through. Maybe this guy can be locked up or get the care he needs, because clearly he's not all that well balanced if he's plotting to go massacre civilians. I, I, I have well, to view this as a very optimistic call. success story, and I hate being optimistic, but I have to view this is a real story of hope here. This is about preventive well, tragedy. I'll, I'll end my call just by saying the, the point I, uh, of me bringing this whole thing up is this is the constant terror. I mean, imagine my, my, my cousin, the mother of this poor kid, getting alerted that this was going on at the campus, oh. that we have to live in such fear that we're sending off our kids to college and, and it's not safe that, you know, yeah. that, like this is a, just a near miss. This is a tragedy that luckily was has been avoided. Yeah, and that's why I want to talk about it. I'm glad you brought it up, Al. I really appreciate it because it is one of those stories that, you know, was prevented nonviolently. 
And there's probably a lot of those stories that happen, but they don't get a lot of coverage. So I thank you for bringing it to us. Exactly. Okay, thanks, John. Peace. Quick break. When we come back, have you been wondering what's the status of Joe Biden's plan to begin paying back or or rather to forgive a small portion of student loan debt in this country? Well, uh, you know there's a struggle and you know that a lot of people who want to capitalize on the pain of student debt are fighting it really hard. SoFi Bank just filed a federal lawsuit in an attempt to overturn this extension of the student loan payment pause due to the COVID moratorium. 81 million people voted for this, and yet they're doing anything they can to make things worse. We've got Cody Hunanian, Executive Director of Student Debt Crisis Center, to talk with us about this in just a moment. He just co-signed a letter that is amazing. It's in the nation. We will talk about it when we come back. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Student loan debt is preventing borrowers from achieving important financial goals, such as buying a home or starting a family. According to a survey by the National Association of Realtors, 83% of non-homeowners cited student loan debt as a barrier to home ownership. That's just a brief part of a really terrific letter that was written by the leadership team at the Student Debt Crisis Center to SoFi Bank, which last month filed a federal lawsuit trying to overturn Joe Biden's extension of the COVID-era student loan payment pause, arguing their business is suffering because they can't gouge struggling Young people, the Student Debt Crisis Center is a nonprofit organization fighting for the rights of borrowers and an end to the student debt crisis because it hurts all of us. Cody Hunanian is the executive director of Student Debt Crisis Center. It's a great pleasure to welcome you, sir, to SiriusXM. Hello. Hey, John. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. I'm very curious. How did you begin your work with Student Debt Crisis Center? What was it in your path, Cody, that, that led you to, to be a leader on this particular topic? Oh, well, you know, it's a really great question. Our organization is rooted in echoing the voices of people directly impacted by this crisis. And I'm glad you said it. It impacts everyone, regardless of age, background, political persuasion. Uh, so I am a student loan borrower myself. My story is one of those American dream stories. My grandparents are Armenian refugees. They came to America where education is supposed to be a pathway to that American dream. And when I left school and recognized that student debt was actually an obstacle to achieving that prosperity that so many of us want and desire through education, uh, it became apparent to me that we need to address this issue, not just as a personal finance issue, but as an economic and social issue that that's really hampering and, and hurting our entire society. 
I completely agree with you. I did a whole movie about this for PPS. I mean, you can't really climb the economic ladder of social mobility when you have a 400-pound student loan debt weight tied around your neck. And all these young people that are paying banks for their old college educations could be paying the same banks for mortgages right now. It's it's slowing our whole economy. I mean, what is SoFi Bank's argument, really, that that making life easier for struggling young people is hurting their bottom line? Is is that it? They can't send collection agents and foreclose on people? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that classic case of uh, profits over people. Uh, just to take a quick step back and, and lay the groundwork for folks, um, the payments on federal student loans, which 40 million Americans hold, have been on pause since March 2020 due to the impacts of the pandemic. Keep in mind, in 2020, March of 2020, Donald Trump was the president. He initiated the initial extensions of the student loan payment pause, and President Biden has continued that. And there is a strong legal uh, framework for why the president has the authority to provide relief to the American public when they need it. SoFi, a, a private bank with a private student loan product, has come out and essentially said, this benefit that the government is offering families and individuals uh, is making our private finance product less desirable and our profits are suffering. And I think it is just absolutely immoral and obviously absurd that we would draft our public policy around the profits of billion dollar corporations over families that are struggling to get by. I mean, it's 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 completely ridiculous and we can't hammer home the point enough that you know, this $10,000 that some people might get towards their student loan debt pile, in most cases, it's not giving them a free education. No one's losing any money. It's just not requiring them to pay the damned interest. The education will still be paid for in full. Just the extra gouging icing on top might not be there. I mean, that's really essentially the basis of SoFi's outrage, isn't it? Yeah, John, you bring up a really good point built into the American system of finance are ways out from under debt. People can file bankruptcy. People cannot pay their debts and a bank will write it off. That's not how the federal student loan system works. So essentially, people are trapped under debt that our government holds for their yeah. entire lives. So when we talk about canceling student loan debt for people who cannot afford their payments, we're talking about the government just not collecting on debts and private banks and lenders choose to do that all the time. So this is really a reparative policy. It fixes a broken system that's been crushing families for too long. And that money was already appropriated when the loans were issued. So we don't have to cut a check to cancel student loan debt. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about the CEO of SoFi, Mr. Noto, is it? Um, how much How much does he get paid? Just curious. Yeah, well, Anthony Noto is the CEO of this company, SoFi. And in 2021, he made over $100 million. One person, $100 million in his pocket. And he turns around and says, uh, you know, an unemployed mother of two who can't afford their student loan payments um, is out of luck. So there's a huge disparity here as far as what SoFi and its CEO thinks we should prioritize here in America. And it's not lining the pockets of corporate executives and billionaires. It is about providing relief to everyday hardworking people 
who are struggling to get by for having only made the the mistake of trying to educate themselves. That's what it really comes down to. (laughs) That's it. But but again, it's also that this company is not suffering. I mean, if they can hand out one hundred and three million to their CEO and then four other executives made at least the the four other executives made 70 million combined. okay, almost 200 million just given out in bonuses in one year. Then this is a company. This is a bank that's raking in huge revenues, handing out huge paychecks to their executives. This is corporate greed. They, they, they don't need to force millions of Americans into repayment before they can afford it. I uh, totally, totally agree, John. And, and here in Los Angeles, where I'm located, I have to drive by a giant stadium where they've plastered the name of this company for another several tens of millions of yeah. dollars. So much money going in the trash at these companies that could be helping their customers. And that was one of the things that we talked about in this open letter to the CEO. We didn't just write our own opinion. We included the voices of their current customers, many of them across the country who came out and said, I am absolutely disgusted. One of the stories we featured was someone who is a customer who has stocks in the company, who holds credit cards with the company. I mean, this is someone who is wrapped up financially in SoFi's success. And even they came out and said, I am absolutely disgusted by this. They're calling customer service every day to complain, they said. Yeah, I thought your letter was very wise to use true testimonials from people. Um, Someone named Jill who said her son refinanced his loans in June, uh, and they told him he didn't need to make payments for six months and no interest would accrue. And then suddenly when he got his first payment, the loan had increased by almost $3,000. And they said, you're out of luck. You signed. uh, And and he's made only three payments and it's only gone down $2,000. This kid is now paying $2,200 a month for an education he's already had. I mean, how do you rent a home? in your 20s on that. Uh, You absolutely don't. And and student loan debt is one of the biggest obstacles to um, really thriving in our society right now. We're talking about it being a a harbinger to purchasing or renting a home. We know it slows down small business formation. We know that student debt even slows down family formation. All of the critical steps towards this American dream uh, have have had the rug pulled out from under them because of student loan debt. And one thing I just want to go back to, too, John, uh, SoFi, as a private lender, doesn't lend to struggling borrowers who need help. They'll only offer their product to people with high incomes, who have great credit, <laughs> who are willing to pay a premium for a lower interest rate. So they are essentially saying, we want to take away benefits to people who are struggling and need government support so that we can make a profit off the backs of those who are are more well off. So their priorities are just all out of whack. I mean, so, I mean, you, you've said that this is just completely frivolous, what they're doing, and, and that at the end of the day, this lawsuit is one of many being waged by wealthy corporate interests to just block relief for student loan borrowers, even though these corporations are all doing fine. Yeah, you know, when you're building a movement, you know you're doing something right when you have billionaires and corporations trying to to go after you. Our movement to address student loan debt and to cancel debt has had win after win after win over the last few years. We've made so much progress, but in the last few months, what has happened is that SoFi filed a lawsuit to try to stop the payment pause. Uh, We have the billionaire founder of the Home Depot companies using his uh, you know, his 
political influence groups to try to stop President Biden's student debt cancellation plan. We have people who are wealthy with money going after student loan borrowers in every way. And the thing that's really messed up is that their legal challenges don't have to actually succeed for them to muck up the system. If they can get a judge in a friendly district to file an injunction or pause a program or slow things down, they're happy with that. And so really millions of lives are being impacted from what I consider to be you know, legal gymnastics. And it's really disheartening, but it's something we have to continue to push through and fight, fight through. Cody, what's going on with the billionaire who owns Home Depot? Yeah, so for those that are tracking it, the president announced last year his plan to cancel up to $20,000 in student loan debt per borrower. And immediately there was, uh, you know, just a cache of, of frivolous lawsuits trying to block it. Most were thrown out immediately. Two of them have made it to the Supreme Court. And one of those cases uh, is backed by the, you know, so-called job creators network which is actually a for, for conservative policies that the Home Depot, the founder of Home Depot funds and you know essentially uses to do his bidding. Um, and this lawsuit argues that uh, essentially that borrowers didn't have a chance to provide public feedback to the government. And so this policy um, doesn't work or really is less democratic than it appears. You said at the top of the half though, uh, 80 million people voted for this president. This president's using his authority to enact policies that the public supports and debt cancellation is one of them. That's it. That's it. But let me ask you the million dollar question, sir, because here's here's what, you know, I really need to process so I can sleep at night. How does it look, Cody? I mean, I, I keep fearing that more and more, um, it doesn't look good for student loan debt forgiveness, even though the majority of Americans, the largest amount of people that ever voted for one candidate ever in the history of the country voted for this platform, which included student loan debt forgiveness. I haven't seen it catch on with the mainstream in the way I thought it would. Obviously, the Republicans are hell-bent against it, and that drumbeat is going nonstop. But I've noticed, uh, let's just say, some Democratic politicians who aren't willing to get out there and fight for this. And I'm I'm having these these anxiety attacks that ultimately this is going to be something Joe Biden gives up on as part of a debt ceiling negotiation. I mean, am I am I being too bleak? Or are you more hopeful than me? Because I'm 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 getting quite terrified at this point. Yeah, I, I'm far more hopeful. Um, I, I'm actually quite optimistic. Uh, there's Tell a me, ton of please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll use the numbers first. There's a ton of polling that shows that most Americans believe in some form of debt cancellation. Uh, and that runs, you know, different age groups, different political persuasions. Um, what I find interesting there is that many people assume that this is a political issue and that there's a half of the country that thinks that debt cancellation is unfair. But what you really find when you talk to the public is that people really believe in education as a pathway to the American dream. And what they actually find to be unfair and immoral is that we're crushing families with debt for trying to achieve it. Yes. I think we've actually tapped into the hearts and minds of more people than, than you would think. I look at this, I look at the fact that the president of the United States, Joe Biden, took this action as actually a great signifier. President Biden was actually not fully in support of debt cancellation early in his administration and really walked the line on and tiptoed around the issue. He's been dragged across the finish line and, um, Many other moderate and, and other Democrats um, and frankly, others in political office 
are feeling that heat and pressure to support debt cancellation. That's one piece. The okay. second piece is the Supreme Court case. We know, and it's not just Cody the advocate, uh, legal experts from Harvard Law and across the country have looked at this issue, and they know that the president has the legal authority to cancel debt. That doesn't mean that this that these Supreme Court justices who you know obviously have a track record of, of doing what they want instead of following the law, it doesn't mean they're going to follow the law, but we have precedent, we have proof, and we have legal experts that are willing to back it up and fight for it. So I'm optimistic on many different fronts. Um, how many people have signed your petition so far? Well, we at Student Debt Crisis Center, we have about 2 million supporters across the country. We're running different actions at all time. We just launched an action directed at SoFi and its CEO, Anthony Noto, calling for them to drop this lawsuit immediately. And it's already captured over 30,000 individual signers. Um, nice. That's just one of the many actions we're running currently. Nice. How can people learn more and how can they help the cause, Cody? Yeah, well, visit us at studentdebtcrisis.org to learn about everything that we're working on. And I think follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to get those really real-time updates. Our handle is at debtcrisisorg. Cody Hunanian is executive director of Student Debt Crisis Center. Today, the nation just published the letter the SDCC sent the management team at SoFi, which is, of course, one of the rolling in dough lenders currently suing the Biden administration to end the payment pause so they can start capitalizing and cashing in on the suffering of struggling student debt owers. Uh, Cody, what a pleasure. Please come back anytime. Great to have you. And thanks for all you do. Anytime. Appreciate it. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.